Well, it's good to be here. It's been a while since I've been up and spoken for some people, never. It's visitors, obviously. Um, I'm hoping that my rambling that started off the service doesn't continue, and that was just a one-off. Um, but I, 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 I am very nervous standing up today and speaking to you guys. Um, and part of it is because we're speaking about the fruit of the Spirit. And this is something that we're supposed to display as Christians. And it can be very difficult to be the one speaking and saying what we should be displaying when you feel that your life is often not quite hitting the mark yourself. So I'm nervous to speak to you, but I'm also glad because it's not in my strength that I'm going to be doing this, but in in he. So I'm going to start off with praying because I need it and you guys definitely need it. So let me start by praying, and then I'll um, open the scripture and we'll we'll have a look. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much that you are here with us right now. I thank you that you are the one who brings truth into our hearts and into our lives and enable us to lead a life that is pleasing and honoring to you. And I just pray that as I speak and the words that I speak, that if anything is not of you, that it would just fall to the ground and become like dust, but... Only that which is from your spirit and is anointed by you would be the, the words that stick in people's minds and hearts to transform them into your children, into your son. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going through a series on the fruit of the spirit. So I'm just going to read the uh, verses from Galatians and then uh, I, I'm going to, the ones I'm speaking on are Kindness and goodness. So we're going to start from Galatians 5.13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say... Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For those are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. When I was growing up, I grew up in Australia. And I grew up in... um, in the foothills of the Great Dividing Range on the border between New South Wales and Victoria. And our house was situated in a valley 
And on one side we had the Stanley Ranges and on the other we had these two mountains. And, um, and as, as I was reflecting on this this week, I realised it's quite ironic because one of the mountains is actually called Big Ben. And I, I never realised it until this week that that actually uh, became more significant since I've moved to the UK. Now, I never had any clue or any desire to leave Australia when I was younger, but now that I look back now and I see that one of the main mountains where I lived was Big Ben. Um, and we used, to, we used to climb up Big Ben all the time. It sounds a bit strange saying it in England, but growing up and climbing Big Ben was what, something we used to um, love doing as kids. But we lived in this valley, and so the valley was a lot, uh, not quite as hot as other parts of Australia, because what would happen is when you live in valleys and you've got mountains and stuff around you, you have this effect where the, when the, um, the heat of the day is on the mountains all day, it starts drawing up the air up the face of the hills. And so we lived in this valley, and all the time, come towards the evenings, you would always get this nice breeze coming through. And so it was a quite a nice place to grow up in. And we're only about two hours away from the ski fields, lovely place. Um, in winter, it was always green. In summer, it was always brown. Um, and we only have those two seasons, uh, summer and winter. And the place we lived was actually quite also protected um, in that it didn't get uh, you know, terrible storms and it wasn't um, too cold either. And so what could happen there is it was actually easy for um, the farmers and the people who lived there to grow orchards. Um, and we had a neighbour who lived just over the hill from us. And I say just over the hill, so it's probably about a kilometre or half a kilometre away, half a mile See, I've even gone back to even thinking in miles, uh, in kilometres now. Anyway, so they're, they're, they didn't live too far away, so they just lived over the hill. And they had this amazing orchard. Now, this orchard was not uh, a working orchard that they would pick and, and sell the fruit. This was just for their own use as the farmhouse. But in this orchard, they would have all kinds of different fruit trees. And there would be... Uh, mandarins and there would be pears and plums and peaches and apples and figs. I don't like figs, but they had them anyway. And there would be, um, vin- they'd have vines growing, so there'd be grapes and there'd be blackberry bushes and boysenberries and raspberries and all this would all be part of this, this orchard that would be near the farmhouse. And as kids, we knew this and we knew the people who lived there. So every time come a weekend and we knew that spring had gone and, it was, and, and the fruit was starting to come out, we knew that we needed... And as it warms up, my mum, I felt like her mission in life was to get our kids to work hard every day. So our mission as kids was to make sure she couldn't catch us to get us to work. So come a Saturday, we knew that we had to be up earlier than our mum. And so that's getting up before the sun gets up. And so what we'd do is, as, as boys, I, I come from quite a large family, but my two younger brothers particularly and I would get up early enough before the sun comes up and we would just head off into the hills. Just knew that we needed to escape. Because if mum caught us, then that's it. We'd be working, doing something, chores or something around the house. Um, but the problem when you're young is you're always hungry. You're always hungry. And, and there would be times where we would have to come back home, and especially in the winter time, 
when the fruit isn't on the trees, you'd always have to try to sneak back into the kitchen to grab something to eat and to try and get out before mum caught you again. But you know, as you grow old, you think you can pull one over your parents, but 90% of the time, my mum always caught us and we'd always get to work. But in the summertime, when the fruit was on the trees, we knew that we had a source that we could go to. We could go to this orchard and we knew that we could just go there and, our, and our, we had a good friend um, his name was Mickey Mac. It sounds funny as I say these things. Um, and we, we used to go up with him, and we used to roam the hills with him as well. And, um, and we used to come back, and he used to say, he, he needed to avoid his mum as well. So we had to come back and go into his orchard, and we'd go in there, and it would just be this feast for us to be able to, to eat during that, that summer, early summertime. And we'd be able to go through there and we could pick the plums when they're ripe and they'd just be nice and juicy and, 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 and sometimes the nectarines, they'd be nice. And, and, and I loved it when the grapes come out because you could just, you had to fight the bees for them, but you could just eat the grapes and they were absolutely amazing. And it was just this fruit salad of an orchard. And, uh, and it just sustained my childhood running from my mum for, for a long time. And sometimes... We think that this is kind of like the fruit of the Spirit. That it's kind of something, an orchard, a, a fruit salad of an orchard you can pick from, but it's not like that at all. The fruit of the Spirit is not an orchard where you can choose to pick a bit of love or a bit of patience or some goodness or some kindness. It is a fruit. It is the one thing that we are to display. And so when we're reading this, and I'm, I'm speaking about kindness and goodness, I'm picking up an aspect, but I'm not speaking about a fruit of kindness or a fruit of goodness, because they are all one fruit. It is a fruit of the Spirit. So I just wanted to emphasize this point, because otherwise what happens is people go away thinking, I'll just have a little bit of kindness today. But you don't get that. Because when you bite into the fruit, you don't get to choose whether you have the, the, the juicy part of it or the fleshy part. Or the, you, you just get it all in there. You don't get to choose which flavor you have. You just have all of the fruit that it has to offer. And so today, though we're looking at kindness and goodness, it must be always in the context of the whole. That this is one fruit of the Spirit that we're talking about here. So I started to look at these words, kindness and goodness. And English isn't very helpful for these two words because we could probably interchange them for nearly everything. You know, we could say someone's kind at the same moment we say they're good. You know, and, and these, these words seem to have almost an interchangeable meaning. And so it's, it's good that we dig a bit deeper into these because these words actually surprise me what they mean when I, when I dug a bit deeper. But I also want to emphasize the order that the Apostle Paul here has written uh, these flavors of the fruit of the Spirit. The, the order is vitally important. Now, before, because the, the, the reason for this is because we must always start off with love. And, and, I, and I really enjoy when you read the, uh, the list here it actually easily shows and displays the encounter you have 
with Christ himself. And, and it's just an outworking of what happens when you meet Christ. It, it, it's, 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 it's a natural thing. That as soon as you meet Christ, the, the very first thing you do when you meet Christ is you come in contact with this love. You come in contact with this love. And the thing with love is love doesn't, doesn't keep to itself. It just overflows. And so you flow in into this thing called joy. And then joy starts coming out as a flavor when you start to see the Spirit in your life. And of course, all joy does is allow you to be able to rest because you know that everything's sorted and everything's okay. So now you've gone from being completely loved and accepted into overflowing of joy. And then you can just rest. And be at peace. There's nothing to strive for, nothing to try and do. You come into peace. And of course, peace, being in that place of rest, is the, the very place that enables you and strengthens you to be able to endure, to have that patience, to be able to suffer long in this world. But the first of these flavors of the fruit, they're all very much a receiving type thing. They're not really a doing. We could argue that love is. We could argue that they are. But really these things are, the, are not about doing. They're about being and receiving. And kindness is the first one of these words that has this emphasis about doing. Kindness is about you moving into action now. But you can't get to kindness before getting love, joy, peace, and patience. If you do not know that this is what you need before you get to kindness, I tell you what, it won't be very kind. Now, one thing I've noticed about the British people is that British people are experts, experts in this passive-aggressive conversations. You know those ones where you know you mean something, you know what they mean, but they say it in a nice way, right? Now, this is, this is what happens if you don't get love, joy, peace, and patience. You become passive-aggressive or you just become aggressive. Or you, you, you do things out of a motivation of, I'm better than you, you take what I give you. You can do the exact same thing, but it comes across not in any shape or form of kindness. See, kindness can only come once you know these other things have been given to you in Christ. And then we come to kindness. And when you look at the word kindness, it doesn't have this sense of you, not just you doing, it actually has this sense of mercy in fact, in the Old Testament, and uh, quite often, kindness, kind and kindly acts and mercy are interchangeable. And many times uh, where it's translated as mercy, it's the exact same Hebrew or Greek word, which means kindness. An example of this would be in uh, Psalm 23, where it says, you know, King David says, surely goodness and as in, our trans, in the ESV translation, it will say, and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. But that word is also translated into loving kindness or kindness. 
Surely goodness and kindness. So there's this aspect of kindness which comes across as a mercy thing. And when I hear that, and when I see that, and when I read that, I thought, this makes sense. It makes sense because when God shows kindness to us, what is he doing? He's displaying mercy. He's displaying mercy to us. So this concept of kindness actually has a heart of of preventing someone from receiving what they should do. So preventing hardship that they deserve because of either their upbringing, their nurture, their, their, their circumstances or situation or just because of the fallen world. Kindness comes along and says that I want to rescue, part of this is rescuing you, re- redeeming part of you in my actions towards you. This is a sense of kindness. It has a sense of mercy. It's m- mercy actions. And these acts of mercy comes out as we, as we seek to be kind to people. And we see that in all, all aspects of particularly the you know, things like um, we have people who work in the food bank. You know, the, the, the heart of the food bank is to be kind, is to prevent people from starving. You know, it's, it's, it's to give them a mercy from what is coming towards them. And, and so in kindness that comes towards them, and it's an action that helps them, but it's a mercy action, acts of mercy. But kindness also has another element to it. It has another element of it that it has this quality about it. And in fact, one of the ways that the Hebrews used to describe kindness was it would say, um, it, would, it would give grace. It would say grace is, a, is the uh, moral quality of kindness. Grace is a moral quality of kindness. Do you get that? That kindness is based upon what grace reveals as good and as proper. So actually, not only is kindness acts of mercy, it's actually shaped and formed and, in, and the actual practice of it, the, the belief, the, the, the principles of kindness actually has to flow first through grace. So here we have this incredible word that is both grace-directed and mercy-activated into giving people what they need. So this word kindness, although it's an, it's an active thing that we're doing, it must be in the presence of grace as its quality. The quality of kindness is grace, and the action towards mercy is what kindness draws us to. And when I read that, I think, man, that just sounds like God. Isn't that God all up? The grace and the mercy, almost the two sides of the same coin. You know, we first we encounter mercy as we realize we're not getting what we deserve. We deserve death, and, and, the, and the grace of God then comes in and says, but not only will I prevent you from getting your, what you deserve, I'm going to flood you. I'm going to flood you with my favor and my blessing. Just to me, that just has the aroma of God in it. And this is the kindness it's speaking about here. There's a story that illustrates this well, and it's in 2 Samuel. And it's the story of 
King David and Mephibosheth. It's a great name. And I, this story, and let me set this story up for you. So David has been crowned king. He has now fought all his enemies, and he's at rest from his enemies at this point. And there's no more work for him to have to do. And he says to one of his servants, he goes, is there anyone left? Is there anyone left of the family of Saul, of the house of Saul? Now, Saul was a previous king, and he was not a good king. But David had not only respect for who God chose as his his anointed uh, over his people to lead his people, but David also had a loyalty towards Jonathan. And so he says, Is there anyone of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, the, the interesting thing here is the other aspect that comes out of kindness is kindness is nearly always in Scripture, is nearly always in the context of relationship of someone you know. It's always, most of the time, it's in the context of, of previous relationship that you have with people. It's not a kindness of just going, picking someone off a street and going, I'm going to be kind to you. The context that Scripture speaks about is, do you know someone that you can be kind to? And here is David displaying this. And we could say that this is, this is the heart of God because this is what God does to us. He, he first comes to us and then he shows us his kindness. And here's David. He's saying, who can I show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? Because I know this person, who can I show kindness to? And it turns out that there's no one left of the house of Saul except for this Mephibosheth. And he is a cripple. And yet, David takes him, takes him into his home. And not only takes him into home, restores to him everything that was his grandfather's, all the land that his grandfather had. And not only does he do that, he says, you are going to be like one of my sons and eat at the table with me. Mephibosheth did nothing more than be related to someone that David knew. But how could David know that this was an outwork? Why did David have this aspect of the fruit of God in his life? Why was this kindness such a thorough kindness? Like, could you imagine doing that in this day and age? Like, this is a huge thing. Not only does he take him, and not only does he give him wealth, not only does he do all that, he says, no longer do you have to worry about where you eat. You're in the king's family. But if you go back two chapters, you can see where David gets this from first. And in this is when we have this amazing story of David wanting to build a temple for God, a house that God can be in. And God says, no, not you, but your 
son will build it. But in that moment, God confirms and makes a covenant with David that he says that I will bless you in your house and there will never cease to be someone on the, on, um, your, the throne and you, your kingdom will be forever. And here's this kindness of God taking David, a shepherd boy, bringing him into kingship, and then saying, now I'm going to bless you forever. Your line is, is through you. You're going to bless all people. And David's response to this, this amazing covenant, that God's saying, I've not only taken you out of a shepherd boy upbringing, not only have I taken you out of that, but I've, I've established you, and I'm now saying that through you, there's going to be a kingdom that never ceases. And David's response is not, that nah, seems fair. His response isn't, nah, that's a good choice. I could see why you would do that through me. His response is this. Who am I, O Lord God, that my house, that you have brought me this far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You spoke also of your servant's house for a great while to come. And this is instruction for mankind. O Lord God. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord. Because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant known. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God. And therefore, there is none like you. And there is no God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. The response of David to the kindness of God is one of worship and praise and and also a moment of saying, why me? Kindness draws us into the reality of who we are, but it draws us into the revelation of who God is. Kindness. This grace and mercy intermingled in action. Kindness. And this is the kindness that this is is talking about here. And then we move to goodness, and it's, a, it's important that goodness is immediately after kindness. Because otherwise, what we would do if we stopped at kindness, we would probably just get into works, because it's the first of these flavors where it's telling us that we now need to put into action some of these things. And if we stopped at, good, at kindness, we may actually get a really, we would probably fall into the trap of legalism and of works. So what does the, the apostle put next? He puts goodness. Goodness. Now, as I said, we could just say, well, isn't that similar to kindness? You're just doing good things. Do good things. And this is not what it means in this at all. This is not what it's talking about when it says goodness. So the goodness it's talking about here is actually in the, it's a quality, um, and it has this sense of a, of a positive quality, as in not bad. It's, the quality of it is positive. It's, it's a good thing. It also has this quality about it of being morally good. And so it's, it's, it's a quality of both being positive, but it's a moral quality as well. But the thing with goodness here is it's not an action. It's, 
It's a quality. It's a purity. It's a, it's, it's a pleasant thing. And so when we come into goodness, it's almost as if we're being drawn once again to say it's not about what you do, it's about who you are. And once again, it draws us back to goodness. And we see this so clearly in Exodus 33. When we go to Exodus and this is one of my... This is one of the most amazing scriptures for me. It says Moses speaking to God. And the context this is in is Moses and the people of Israel have come out of slavery of Egypt. They've crossed the Red Sea. Moses, the incredible thing is, is they've approached Mount Sinai and they've heard the voice of God declare out the Ten Commandments. The whole people heard this. And then Moses has gone up the mountain to write down these commands of God on the mountaintop. And the people have said, he's taken too long. Come on, let's make our own gods. And they start to worship golden calves. And Moses comes down and sees this and breaks the tablets. And there we have this encounter now after the, the golden calf incident where the people have so quickly and easily turned away from God. And God says to Moses, now's the time for you to leave Mount Sinai. You to move on now. But I'm not going with you. You take the people, Moses, but I'm not going. Now this is at the time they do not have the Ten Commandments now because Moses has broken them. And God's telling them to move on from the mountain of God And what does Moses do? He says, pretty much what the the Apostle Peter says, where do we go without you? Where? There's no use us leaving anyway. If you don't go, then what is the point? And he says, if I found any favor with you, God, go with us. And God says, yes, I will go with you. And, And calls Moses back up. To the mountain. But before he goes up, Moses says this in this moment where he's in this intense meeting with God in the presence of God, and he's saying, God, if your presence doesn't go with us, why do we go anywhere? And in this moment, Moses just says these words out and says, I want to see you. Can I see you? And God says, Because I know you by name, because I favor your, my favor is on you. I will show you myself. And this is what God says. This very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. So here's this goodness, the same translation we have, the same essence of what it means. Goodness. What is is it? What is it? It is essentially the essence, the personhood, the very being of God. This is what goodness is. He says, I will make my goodness, all of it, pass before you. It is saying, I'm going to make who I am. The very essence of who I am is going to pass before you, and you're going to experience what goodness is. And so when we read the 
the flavor of this of the fruit this goodness it's talking about not us being good but us being infused with the goodness of god we had this tree in australia in our back garden when i lived there with with my wife and it was this orange tree and now this orange tree was makes my mouth water just thinking of it it was just absolutely amazing and come springtime, you would, you would feed it, and then it would start to, buds would come out, and the flowers would come out on it. And when the flowers start coming out, you get excited because you know what's coming. There's fruit coming. And, and as you saw these, and the bees would be buzzing all over the place, you could start to smell it. And then you'd see these, these buds would turn into little green oranges. And they start to develop and grow. And then it gets to a point where it has to get, the temperature has to get to a certain degree. And then all of a sudden, it just goes from green and they all start going orange all all over, like lights turning on. Orange just start showing up all over this tree. And yet you wait a little bit longer. Because although the skin's gone orange, if you wait a bit longer, it develops a bit more juice and sweetness on the inside. And then we'd go up and you'd, just with that anticipation of grabbing this orange and they were nice oranges that you just you'd pluck off the tree and as you grabbed it and you peeled that first thing off there'll just be this aroma that will just hit you of the orange just that scent of the orange you haven't even eaten it yet you haven't even tasted it but as that scent hits you you're just like this is a good one i can't wait to eat this That's goodness. Goodness is the aroma of the fruit of the Spirit. When you have that sense that you don't even need to have it interact with you, but you just feel it, you you smell it, you you envelop it, and you just go, this is just, this is good. And you've done nothing. And you're just smelling that goodness. Do you know, there's people like that. There's people you just come in contact with and you've never met them before and you stand by them and you just get this sense of just goodness. It's just good to be around that person. And they do nothing for me. Like they're Not that they've made me a cup of tea or they've, they've necessarily done something, but just being with them, I just feel that sense of goodness. This is what it's talking about here. Is that flavor of the fruit. But I'm not even talking about us having to be and produce this fruit. Do you know what I'm trying to say here is we are the ones that should be eating this fruit. You see, it's not up to us to develop and try and make ourselves be better at doing love and joy and be better at kindness. I've got to be kind to you today. That's not what it's about. See, when it's talking about the fruit of the Spirit, it's talking about you. And we see that in in Galatians. It's saying, now walk in the Spirit. And these things, you get to eat that fruit. This is for us to eat. We eat and we get the love and the joy. This is for us. And do you know what? The saying that you are what you eat, this is where it works out. 
you eat of the fruit, you will start to display it. So this is not a message of go be kind. This is a message which is all summed up in Romans 2. Romans 2 and verse... We'll go from the start of verse 2. Therefore you have no excuse, O man, everyone who you... uh, Every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on one another, you condemn yourselves because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. And these such things are the, a list before. It talks about malice and deceit and slander and, and all these things. Do you suppose, O oh man, you who, judge those, uh, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourselves, that you will escape the judgment of God. Or, and here's the key verse. Or do you presume on the riches of God's kindness and forbearance and patience, knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? You see, this sums up the whole gospel here, is the kindness of God is what leads people to repentance. And so when we are eating of this fruit, we first get to envelop and develop that taste of the kindness of God because it was his kindness that drew us and won us and brought us into salvation. And so us, we get to taste the first fruit of kindness. And then when we start to live out this kindness that we have into those people who we know, because that's what this kindness means, you be kind to those you know, then they will start to see and be drawn as a witness, drawn to God. Kindness, immediately with a fragrance of goodness, is a witness, is evangelism on display, is the, the power for people to see that God is a, is a God who is concerned with lives and wants to change people for the better. He wants them to know his goodness. So if you take, I'm going to finish up, and I want to say this, if you take anything from today, it's this. Go, eat, and delight in the fruit of the Spirit. Go dwell and taste and smell and envelop yourselves in the wonderful fruit that is the fruit of the Spirit. The love, the joy, the peace, the patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And then you will see that as you go towards those you know, that the kindness will come out. And people will say, these people, I like hanging out with them. I don't know why, but they just do me good. There's just a goodness about them. That's a fruit. Not you trying to produce it or do it, but you just enjoying eating it. Let me pray for you as we finish. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are the first fruit of salvation, that you yourself has come and has shown us that we can now partake in this wonderful life in the Spirit. And I just pray for each one here right now that they would understand and receive that there is this grace and mercy that comes out in action.
action we call kindness. But it is first and foremost enveloped in love and it is surrounded by the aroma of goodness. So I pray right now, Lord Jesus, as we go through the week, as we go into the days ahead, that we would be people who delight to feast upon the fruit of your spirit. And as we walk in you, we will see that others also get to feast on the fruit of the spirit in our lives. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys, for for being here today. You're you're welcome to hang around. Um, If you want prayer, um, you can come and ask. I'm I'm, I'm willing to pray. There's other people about here. Paul, I'm going to, down there, he'd love to pray for you as well. Uh, Just this moment now to just be able to enjoy each other's company. Um, I love hanging out with you guys. Do you know why? Because you do me good. You're good. There's goodness here. So just hang around with each other. Um, we can go outside and we can, we can stay here. So be blessed and be released. Bless you guys.